You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 180 of the Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we share our warming protocols for horses. Critter of the show is the sloth. In Critter Nutrition, we focus on bringing home a new puppy. And in Coffee Clatch, we ask, what characteristics of your horse or dog or cat reflect a part of your personality? Listen in. Tigger. And I'm Patty. And I am Coach Jen. I always get nervous that little pause between Tigger and Patty. Is she <laughs> going to be there? I have trust issues, perhaps. <laughs> Thanks for joining us again here on Healthy Critters Radio. We get together about twice a month and we chat about all things critter and all things healthy. And the critters can be really quite a wide variety, as you may have noted in the today's show segment, sloths. We're going to learn about sloths. They're much more interesting than you think they are. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Much more interesting than you think they are. And this is the part of the show, my favorite part personally. This is our chit-chat. <laughs> Catch up with each other since we've talked last. And once again, Tigger and Patty were unprepared. Yes. <laughs> well, you don't completely get that. You're what just you very prepared. <laughs> okay, we, you're, right. you're right. You're absolutely right. I don't even know why I'm arguing that. <laughs> well, usually it's it's something probing or thought provoking or sometimes funny that I ask during our little chit chat. But today it's something practical, and it has to do ah. with BioStar ah. US. Ah, ah, healing clay. Mm. BioStar makes something called healing clay. And to some somebody like me who doesn't know the difference, it looks like poultice, but it's not. Can you please explain to me in 90 seconds or less the difference between healing clay and poultice? Well, poultice is generally one kind of clay. Healing clays are blended clays. Some that are adsorbing, some that are absorbing. Got it. Which we've talked about on other shows. Yeah. So for a healing clay, would that be an appropriate product to use on a hematoma or a bruise? For example, your horse gets kicked in the shoulder. Ugh. Yes. Now, what part of healing clay, adsorbing or absorbing, which of those two parts addresses the bruise? You want both of them. You want them both. Ah, okay. Mm. Now, healing clay, is that appropriate for wounds? And if yes, what types of wounds? Okay, not directly in the wound, but around the wound. Around the wound. So An open wound. Okay. You would use the clay around the supporting tissues. Got it. Okay. Now, this is the quiz part oh, that I'm going to quiz you and Patty for okay. 
ooey gooey nasty wounds, the ones that are a little bit deeper than your basic scratch that go most of the way through. A little terrifying, a little oozy. What, Tigger, what what is your go-to topical product? I have several, and it kind of depends on the wound. Okay, Um, so give me several. So colloidal silver as is my number one, get it in the wound. Okay. Um, I, I know this sounds old fashioned, but I love ichthamol. Me too. I Ichthom- couldn't find it at the, I couldn't find it at the drugstore. It's day. hard to find now. Yeah. And, um, wow. what's that gooey yellow stuff? Furison? Furison? That's no. Cause they, the they have furison or furazone. Furazone is the chemical. Furison is the brand. Which you don't so, really see as much as you used to. That's the yellow stuff that looks kind of yeah, like. Yeah, that's the, yeah. yes. Yeah, I okay. love that stuff. Okay. Um, and, this, this, of course, predisposes that you've already cleaned the wound. Right, right. Precisely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How about you, Patty? Well, um, I love colloidal silver. Um, I often use Manuka honey, depending on how bad the wound is. Yeah. Um, and, um, and depending, and again, depending how many slides are, like how, whatever, I always try to top off a lot of mine with that silver spray because it tends to coat it and keep the flies out. Cause that obviously yes. seems to always be. The- yes. I, it's funny. Cause I call it silver spray too. It has got nothing to do with silver. It's just colored that way. Okay, well, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. It's funny. But I, it's. The brand I use is, I think, called a Luma spray or something. I have the first clue what it's made of. All I know yeah, I is to... it doesn't melt when I put it on a horse in the summer. That's really right. the biggest it... reason I use it, because it doesn't melt. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. made for boo-boo, so okay, it doesn't melt, because well, it... pretty near everything you put on a horse in the summertime here in Florida, it just melts and dribbles off anyway, right? Um, yeah, and I like it because it keeps the flies off. Got to keep the flies off. So, I use SWAT. Yeah, SWAT is very handy. Yep. Yes, very handy. Yep. And my personal experience has been that the pink SWAT has a higher melting temperature than the clear or white SWAT. Just putting that out there. <laughs> I've only ever used the pink. Really? Oh, I've, I've used, yeah, I've used the clear. Yeah, I like the pink better because then I know exactly right. where it's at. Yep, it's yes, still there. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, my final question. Patty, you get to go first on this one. Um, okay. For cleaning up icky, slimy wounds, out playing in the field, stuck his leg through the fence, skinned up his shin, what's your go-to product for, for cleaning things out before you medicate? Oh, I mean, I always try to do a betadine like okay. solution. You're a betadine gal? Uh, yeah, but I always dilute it. Yeah. Okay, how about you, Patty? Or Tigger, sorry. You know, it's funny. With horses, I tend to go to betadine. With dogs, I tend to go to hydrogen peroxide. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, interesting. I'm a chlorhexidine gal myself. Ah. I was going to say chlorhexidine too, but I, that's so interesting. And the only reason I didn't say that is I find that that soap can be very drying. Not that betadine isn't, but mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a chlorhexidine gal. And the nice part is... 
a lot of these products are now available in your local drugstore. Yes. So for somebody like me with one horse or two horses, actually, but one horse who gets holes, the other one really doesn't do that. I don't need 32 ounces of betadine scrub. That's going to last <laughs> me 15 years. So it's nice to be able to go down to the drugstore and bought, buy the eight ounce bottle. <laughs> Thank you very much, Walgreens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, And I'm actually going to go online and order my ichthamol. Because I can get it in a little tube. Because the last time I got ichthamol at the tax shop, it comes in the one-pound tub again. Yep. The one-pound ta- one tub was five years old before I got halfway through it. Yeah, exactly. So keep that in mind when you're purchasing products for your medical kit. Keep in the mind the size you're buying versus how much you're likely to use it. If you have one or two horses, the chances of using a one-pound tub of ichthamol, unless you have one who's prone to abscesses, is unlikely the human package might be more useful. So now I'm going to have to go to biostarus.com and get myself some healing clay because Nigel has himself some hematomas. And I want to see if I can't draw those out a little more quickly. So when you're using it on a hematoma, you put it on, it's going to let, it's going to dry. Do you put it on every day, twice a day? That's really going to depend on how quickly it gets, it's resolving. Okay. So, you, you know, put it on once, you know, don't wrap it or anything. Just no, let this it is, dry. This is on the top of the body. So there's no wrapping. Okay. Going on so just let it dry and, you know, wash it off a couple hours later and see okay. if it's, if it's significantly improved, I might just do it one more time and that'd be it. Oh, okay. Interesting. I would have guessed more than that. Okay, well, I'm going to be slathering it all over that horse. Let me tell you. Well, uh, with with, a, with healing clays, a little goes a long way. Well, there's lots so of spots. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> okay. Okay. He is he is taking his mantra of "I take every day and try to kill myself." He's taken that to extremes this past week. So <laughs> new levels. Yes, new levels. He's mm-hmm. got a he's got a superpower. That one. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Well, ed- interesting and educational. And I'm going to take this interesting little chit chat. I'm going to stick it over on Horse Tip Daily as well because I think this will be useful for lots of folks. So there we go. Now on to our roundtable. And what is our topic and why, Tigger? Worming protocols. Oh boy. Well, hmm. um, I, I just did a round of worming. <laughs> yeah. Oh. All all those tubes in the trash made you think, hmm, I wonder what other people do. Yeah. And since I have um, Aussies, I have to be very careful with ivermectin. Mm. Absolutely. Because Aussies like collies are, right. are very sensitive to ivermectin. So you have to dispose of it um, very effectively. You can't just put it in a trash bag. You've got to no, put it in its own bag it. and tie yeah. it off. And, yeah. So, um, but, it, you know, it's warming is always a, I don't mean controversial, but everybody's got a different opinion on it. It's, um, it is It is something that people have strong opinions on. You're right. Barefoot versus shoes. Yep, warming right. protocol. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it, you're right. It is. Yep. Absolutely. So, give us your spiel there, Tigger. What's what's? <laughs> I was like, what are we waiting oh, for? You go cut. You go first. <laughs> so, 
My worming protocol is to do a fecal in the spring. Now, these horses are retired. They're literally in a closed system. No horses come in or out. Um, and haven't for a couple of years. Um, so they're not exposed to a lot. Um, so I do a fecal in the spring and always um, around the full moon. And then depending on the count or whether they're clear uh, dictates how I'm going to, to worm them. However, this year... <laughs> I did something a little different. Um, they all had virtually zero egg count or, you know, so low that normally I would have not warmed them. But for some strange reason, I thought, you know, I think I, because I rotate, I, I just think that I'm going to hit them, you know, with ivermectin this time. So... That's that's what I did. And I don't worm every six weeks. That's an old protocol. Of course, I, I used to do when I was competing. But now we know that the worms have become resistant to most of the warmers. So um, that's why I always do a fecal. And, you know, if I have a higher egg count, then I'll do another fecal in, you know, eight weeks. Mm -hmm. But I haven't had that in a long time. But by next round, um, which will probably be in September, will probably be, um, you know, stronger. So when you do the fecals, do you do it by mail or do you have your local vet do it? I drop it off at the vet. Yeah. How about you, Patty? Well, I do a lot of what, what Tigger was saying. The great thing about my situation is that every horse goes out in an individual field and the fields are picked. So I have pretty decent control over what happens, you know, worming wise. And also, um, it gets pretty hot here. And, um, it, uh, it, it, it's known that a lot of times the, um, eggs don't survive because again, you know, when it's 5,000 degrees, um, <laughs> that works. Um, but, uh, but I also do like, and I'll do, I'll do fecals. I don't warm as much as I used to it, because again, we know they've become a resistant to warmers, but also because I, um, have them in individual fields, but, um, I'll also do like the power pack panicure as well. in in, in my re recycling. There you go. And Jennifer, I, yeah. well, I'm going to, I'm going to be really boring and I do very similar in that I do a springtime, um, fecal get a worm count what i found interesting is my horses lived at home in paddocks that were picked every day for years and years and years and we moved to a boarding stable where the horses live in individual paddocks but they're only picked once a week they're both of their worm counts skyrocketed wow crazy scooter would mm. typically be 50 or below and Nigel would typically be 200 or below. They were both over a thousand oh, oh within, 30, within 30 days of moving to that facility that were only picked once a week, every week, once a week, nonstop. So that's the difference that cleaning your paddocks every day wow. versus cleaning your paddock once in a while can make. So I'm just going to put that out there. So I had to completely change my protocol. Um, 
and I was worming every six to nine weeks and we were rotating around and we finally just this past this spring it was in may in may we finally did a power pack with them so they were finished with the you know cleaning them out kind of a thing yeah so now we'll we'll do a a fall count to see if we got them back under control but I thought that was very, very interesting how That's amazing. that can change. Yeah. Because each horse sheds differently. You can have yep. 15 horses in the field and you do a fecal on all 15 horses. You're not going to get a high count across the board. It's not always, it's not just no. the field. It's how the horse processes it all. Um, but, but that, that just surprised the heck. I also think it has a lot to do. Now these horses at my farm, there's five of them. They live in a herd. They they are on, you know, 60 acres of pasture. Yeah, they, yeah, they never even see a poop pile. Yeah. No. So I think mm-hmm. it, when we concentrate. Makes a big difference. Yes. It makes yeah. a huge difference. Yes. Yes. Especially when they're, yep. they're, they're grazing on very short grass. So they graze yeah. right up to the edge of the poop pile. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you're one of those places that either spreads manure or scatters the manure in a pasture. If that manure is wet when you scatter it and it stays wet, guess where the eggs go? Yep. Yeah. Now, if you have 60 acres and five horses, probably not going to have the same effect as three acres and two horses doing the same process. Yeah. So you want to take into consideration the density of the population, how you're dealing with your manure, but the, the starting point I think is interesting here. The starting point for everybody should still be, the fecal count. And yes, fecal. fecal count doesn't yep. show everything. There's certain types of yep. worms it doesn't show. And that's why you have to worm periodically, period. But when you do that periodic worming, okay, your horse has an egg cell, an egg count of five, like Scooter. He still got worms twice a year. But we right. made sure we were worming him using products that were effective against the stuff that the that fecal he, egg count yes, can't exactly. detect. So yeah. not all chemicals are made the same. Read the fine print, fine print people. and that that's all i have to say on warming protocol interesting conversation very interesting yep good conversation yeah (laughs) hedwig the world's only podcasting pomeranian hello hedwig hello abby oh my god everyone is here I see that Hi. everyone is, uh, it's like a party. It is a party. <laughs> it's, it's a, a party. Our party today, Hedwig, we're doing a lot of sharing. We're sharing our warming protocol for our horses. And we're sharing ideas about how our horse, our pets' personalities match ours. So what I thought I'd ask you today is mm-hmm. in the vet, in the topic of sharing. So what does your human servant not share with you that you wish she would. First, I would like to begin to discuss the word sharing. (laughs) So if by sharing, you mean that she gives me all of the thing, I never get all of the thing. Because I feel that I allow her to share my universe. And be part of my glory. And so the very least she could do is go and give me, oh, a pound to a pound and a half of cheese. 
I see. So you think her sharing oh. should be more complete? Okay. Yes. I see. Very interesting. Um, but one thing that she does not share with me that she totally should share is chocolate. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. And um, I don't think she should be allowed to purchase ice cream unless I'm going to get all the ice cream. Well, there could be advantages to that as far as the human servant. See, I love to eat ice cream. Again, we're talking about the fact that I love to eat. I love to eat ice cream. And if I was required to share it all with my canine superior, that would help me because then I wouldn't have to buy newer riding breeches every couple of years. I think I think that might be something I should try. Yeah. Well, you know, she used to do this rule where we got half of everything and then she there were more of us. So then she got three, one quarter and we got three quarters. But I think it's time to just, you know, up our share. Well, if she gets a few more of you, then she could. Right. So maybe a few more siblings. I have two new siblings. (laughs) Oh, are they siblings we've not met before? I do not believe that you have met them. One of them just came home on Friday. And what is that sibling's name? Tell Uh-oh. us a little bit about this sibling. He was a youth listed rescue only monster pet in Tennessee, and she flew to get him. His name is Mr. Twister. <laughs> he is formally known as Oliver Twist, and he is a gutter snipe. Ah, uh, okay. He bites. He bites. Does he bite you? No, no, he loves me. Oh, well, there you go. There we go. He bites her. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe she just needs to give him more ice cream. She uh, wears gloves and uh, pulls her her sweatshirts down very low. (laughs) So funny. (laughs) He looks very um, uh, confused much of the time. Yes, yes. Well, you mentioned siblings plural. Is there another new sibling we've not met yet? Yes, about a month ago, she adopted this creature that I can only refer to as her emotional support stuffy that she carries around all the time in her jacket. It's minute and it's named Waldo. Where's Waldo? Sorry, I had to do it. Yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So are are you are you a little bit are you a little bit jealous that Waldo gets to be carried around in your servant's shirt and you don't? No, I hope that he just takes all of her focus so I never have to be in any way interfered with. Oh. So it gives you more independence, I see. Mhm. I see. Well, thank you for spending a little bit of time with us today and sharing yes, your problem. thoughts on sharing. Yes, I love to share. <laughs> You're a giver, Edwig. Bye-bye. Yep. Bye. 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 So we are going to do, for the critter of the show, the sloth. I have been seeing a bunch of... I love sloths. I know. And I've been seeing so many circulating like videos of them. And I thought, this is what I want to do. But it's funny. There's, there's a lot to them. So I'm going to touch on the things that just kind of screamed out to me to be important. Um, there's a lot to say about this incredibly neat little mammal, but first and foremost, people want to know why they're so slow. <laughs> um, 
their their metabolic rate is only about 40 to 55% of what would typically be for their body weight. So because of this specialized metabolism, it needs to slow down to be frugal with their energy. So they move slowly and tend not to wander far from where they live. So sad, sad thing is population, there's only about 1,500 still living in the world, which makes them one of the most endang- wow. endangered yep, on the planet. Did not um, know that. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Um, so, it, so life for these slow moving little creatures is kind of troublesome with the de- deforestation and hunting and destruction of their natural habitat, which oh. is the prime reason decline. Um, the sloths have a, a thick brown, slightly greenish fur coat. They're around the average size of like a house cat. Um, they have a short flat head with big eyes and a short snout and either a short or non-existent tail. They have long legs. Tiny ears and a sturdy curved claw on each one of their foot uh, feet, not foot. <laughs> they they have the claws. They use their claws obviously to hang from trees. And I'm sure you guys have seen the videos of what they, they kind of look. I don't know, sort of like exaggerated bear claws, I think. But that but the claws they are their only natural uh, uh, natural defense. Um, they have very good cam- camouflage, um, and since they move slowly, they don't don't attract a lot of. Um, other animals or other predators. Um, they, um, some sloths live in colonies, or excuse me, I've said that wrong. The sloths have colonies of green algae that is encrusted on their coat, in their skin, you know, on their coat and in their skin. And it's, it's used for an added camouflage, but it also, this is kind of, it's gross, but kind of cool. It also provides nutrients to the sloth. So, um, would they would they lick off during grooming? <laughs> I thought it was an interesting kind of. I odd think that's story. very practical. <laughs> Can well, I say ew here? Can I say that? Is that okay? Yeah, it is <laughs> no. ew, but think about how practical it is. Um, so, one of the, the stereotypes of sloths is that because they move slow, they're not very bright. But according to National Geographic, they are slow, but definitely not stupid. In fact. Sloths are actually, this is interesting, three times faster in the water than they are on land. Once more, wow. they float. Yep. 30% of their body weight is just uh, is just digesting and fermenting leaves. So they have quite a lot of gas. So they're just basically <laughs> big balls. How cool. Uh, they're like little balloons. <laughs> they're slow-moving <laughs> methane balloons. Oh, my God. <laughs> I did not whether or not they're tutors, but we'll leave that to someone else to look at. Um, so can be aggressive. So as I was saying earlier, I keep seeing all these circulating videos of sloths, like trying to cross the road or, you know, returning a baby sloth to its mama. And they're so happy to see them, but apparently they can be fairly aggressive when provoked, but if left alone in their natural habitat, they really don't pose any threats to humans. Um, but if they become agitated or threatened, they may use their teeth or their long their long claws to cause pain. So if you haven't figured it out by now, these guys are sluggish, but they're tree tree dwellers and generally they're located in Central and South America. They spend both, most of their lives in tropical, tropical forests and they move through the canopy and occasionally dropping out from the treetop to waddle in a puddle or float, float in some water. Um, there's six different types six different species none of which i can say so i'm just going to tell you that the layman um there's a pygmy three-toed sloth there's a pale throated sloth and a brown throated sloth just to name a few 
Um, Lothites are pretty, they're pretty, they're pretty simple. They live on leaves and twigs and buds and some insects, but they don't have incisors. So they, they trim the trees down by smacking the limbs on firm, you know, like the tree or whatever. And that's how they digest the, um, or get the leaves off and kind of, they beat them up a little bit so they can then eat them. Um, so because their metabolic rate is pretty slow, they can pretty much survive on very little food. So it takes them days to actually process um, their their meals, what other animals could do in hours. So basically, in short, these are cute little cool animals and there's a whole lot more to them. But I just thought, have you guys been seeing these videos of the, of the sloth? I can't I keep saying it wrong. Sloth? Where like the, they're like one... <laughs> One sloth is crossing the road. <laughs> this is a chicken joke. I have not. Yeah, I have not had any sloth videos come across. I have not. Okay. Well, now, now they probably will, but they are so darling. And I, it, I was watching one the other day, and I was like, "Why are those guys so slow?" Well, now we know. Now we know because they have. Now we know that they're they're little furry balls of gas <laughs> <laughs> with with algae. With algae. With algae. <laughs> With the so there you have it. Ta-da. <laughs> real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why Biostar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. Biostar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real fruit ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The Biostar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BiostarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BiostarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. So now we're in Critter Corner and the topic is bringing home a new puppy. In the last six months, I have lost two beloved dogs, Thunder Bear and Kimasabi. I will forever miss them. No dog can replace them. Yet, I found myself looking for healing in the eyes of a puppy. The breeder of my Australian Shepherd dogs had a litter that arrived two weeks after Kimasabi's passing. I took only moderate interest because I just wasn't ready. But when the pups were six weeks old, she sent me some photos of them. The puppy I was drawn to from photos is a black tri-boy that is black with white and copper markings. This litter is related to two of my dogs, Buckaroo and Keen, so I'm familiar with these particular bloodlines. The sire of the litter is Keen's full brother and litter mate. Of course, the mental gyrations started. Do I or don't I? Am I nuts? Aussie puppyhood can be daunting. They can go from darling to I don't hear you in a nanosecond. They turn into little raptors. Their sheer intelligence and ability to outthink a human is legendary. Am I up for this challenge? 
What will my adult dogs think of bringing in a new member of the pack? What stresses will that create? Have I lost my blooming mind? <laughs> For me, one of the most important aspects of choosing a puppy is temperament and drive. These are characteristics that the breeder can assess. At my age, I don't need a high drive dog or one from working stock lines whose deep desire is to herd anything that moves, including me. I'm drawn to a confident puppy, but not necessarily an alpha. I like the goofballs. Kimasabi, Keen, and Buckaroo are all goofballs to some degree. I also have, shall we say, shallow preferences. A nice head with a good stop, symmetrical markings, well set on ears, expressive eyes. Structurally, I like a dog with a good top line, enough angulation without being overly exaggerated, freedom of the shoulder, and moderate bone. The breeder told me this pup is not high drive, is happy-go-lucky, wants to be with people. She sent me a confirmation photo. In structure and looks, he is just my type. She sent me a short video of him playing with a toy, pouncing on it, then scampering away. I burst out laughing. My breeder is in Florida. I live in Virginia. Do I drive? Do I fly? Both options come with pros and cons. I have flown with puppies out of Florida before, including a trip with Wookie the day before Hurricane Irma hit Florida in 2017. The Orlando airport was sheer bedlam, like a scene out of a Hollywood disaster movie. If I drive, it's 11 to 12 hours, depending on traffic. I can't do it in one day, so I will need to stop, spend the night, and continue to Ocala the next day. Same for the return trip to Virginia. Essentially, it's four days total of beat on the road. The thing is, I don't mind driving. I like the freedom of it rather than being confined by an airline schedule. I decide to drive. But a week later, I changed my mind and booked my airline tickets on Delta. Okay, this is getting real. The to-do list. Buy new toys. Find my Kongs, licky mats, puppy bowls, and a crate. Find my soft-sided pet carrier, slip lead puppy leash, and clicker. I discover that my soft-sided carrier for the airplane has a busted zipper. Order a new one. Look for my slip lead puppy leash but can't find it despite having other slip leads of every color and length in the dog cabinet. <laughs> can't find my clicker either. <laughs> Bought a new clicker and a new slip lead. Ordered doggy paw wipes for the trip and soft puppy treats. Peter says, is all this really necessary? I say, yes. I also picked up some symbiotic canine and colostrum 38 at Biostar for the puppy. Having the talk with the pack. It's only fair that I talk to the pack about this possible new addition. The older dogs give me the whatever look, except for Eden, who has been a mama dog herself and turns into a wiggle worm when I tell her about the puppy. I have a different conversation with the younger dogs, Wookie and Keen. Wookie was Keen's nanny, and I want to make sure she's up for the task again. Keen has been the baby of the pack, mentored by none other than Keen Asabi. Keen crawls into my lap and I ask him, you want to be Uncle Keen? He lifts his left lip and gives me a sly grin. The equipment. It turns out Peter has absconded with our portable wire X-Pen, exercise pen, for 
For use in the garden to protect seedlings from our raptor colony, that would be our free-range chickens. Time to order another. The new puppy will sleep in a crate next to my bed and then move to my bed once we have potty training under control. All my dogs run a little hot, so they prefer sleeping on the floor. They only like their dog beds in winter. Wookie, though, is the resident couch hog no matter what the season. Queens will be queens. The breeder has sent new photos of the puppy at age seven weeks. He has big paws. Hope he fits in the soft-sided carry-on crate. Delta has very specific in-cabin crate dimensions. Okay, it's too soon to panic. The veterinary conundrum. My vet of five years closed his practice in May due to staffing issues. One day he was open for business. The next, out of the blue, he closed up shop, leaving hundreds of owners like me scrambling to find new veterinarians. I called four different veterinary practices that all said they were not taking new clients. I do have a backup veterinary practice that I have used when my vet couldn't fit me in, but they aren't my first choice as a primary vet. I could write an entire article on the reality of stresses on veterinarians, vet techs, and vet clinics. The frightening rise of burnout and even suicide in the profession is truly cause for alarm. The crisis in veterinary practices is compounded by the corporate purchases of clinics with the emphasis on corporate structure and profitability. Luckily, the fifth vet practice I called was able to take me as a client. They have a good reputation according to Yelp and Nextdoor, but of course, the proof, as they say, is in the pudding. At least I have an appointment for the puppy, but the first available appointment is eight weeks after I get him home. So I did make an appointment with the backup veterinarian I've used before to have the next series of puppy shots when he's 12 weeks. The name game. Names are powerful. Older civilizations have various naming ceremonies for babies. A christening is a form of a naming ceremony, as well as a religious welcoming by baptism. Names have certain attributes and meanings to endow the child with those qualities. I don't give my dogs, cats, or horses human names. It's just a weird quirk of mine. Yet I do seek out names that will provide certain qualities and resonances. Sometimes dog names come to me in dreams. Both Kimasabi and Thunderbear were names from dreams. I named Keen after one of my favorite places on Earth, the Kenai Peninsula in Alaska. I named Wookiee after one of my favorite Star Wars characters. Buckaroo and Crockett were names that came to me while listening to country music on the radio. Eden had her name as an adult dog, and I didn't change it. Buckaroo is the only dog of the Aussie tribe that I named after meeting him. All the others I named before I brought them home. The name for this puppy came as Keen was bouncing around in his best day ever, which is everyday routine. (laughs) And I thought it would be nice if this puppy had more Zen qualities. I don't want to call him Buddha or Lama or Dalai Lama or Siddhartha. And then it hit me. Kenobi the Jedi Master, and his call name, Obi-Wan. The Food Paradigm. I start my puppies on the food the breeder feeds for about 30 days. During this time, I will introduce small amounts of goat's milk, yogurt, canned pumpkin, and cooked chicken or beef with veggies to get the puppy's gut microbiome adjusted to new foods. 
I use the kibble as a base, adding more cooked food over time before starting the transition to raw. As for supplements, I will use Biostar's Optimum Canine Powder, Colostrum 38, Symbiota, and of course, Dogstar Liver Treats. This time, heading to Ocala to pick up the new puppy, I will not be alone. Biostar's canine specialist, Lizzie Meyer, is flying into Orlando to join me on this 30-hour turnaround adventure. There is a red tri-pup in this litter that she feels a connection with. So we will meet at the airport in Orlando, pick up the rental car, drive to Ocala, spend time with the breeder, pick up the puppies, drive back to Orlando, drop off the rental car, check into the airport hotel, probably get two hours of sleep, fly out the next morning. Lizzie will fly to Texas and I will fly to Virginia. Could this be Tigger and Lizzie's excellent adventure? Or Thelma and Louise get their puppies? Stay tuned. So now we're at Coffee Clatch. And the question of the day is, what characteristics of your horse or your dog or your cat reflect a part of your own personality. Um, I, I think if I, one of my um, attractions to the Australian shepherd is that it's that, that breed is very much like I am uh-huh. kind of wound, <laughs> easily distracted, also able to focus and um, very intense. <laughs> so. <laughs> Kind of a good fit. Kind of a good fit, kind of. <laughs> there you go. How about you, Patty? Well, I well whether it's whether it is my horses or my Australian shepherds, and you know I also have Frenchies. It is just important to me that they have they match my sense of humor, and I would say that both of both of my Australian shepherds absolutely have just a great sense of humor, and my horse Hal has the best sense of humor. <laughs> like he yes, just picks he stuff up. He, yeah. He just picks stuff up. Um, you know, he throws it at you. If you go by and ignore him, he'll pick up his water bucket. He, he just like, he just, everything he does is full of joy and just ridiculously silly. <laughs> so it's, for me, it's always just sense of humor. They have to, they have to be funnier than me, which is hard. Huh? Cause I'm pretty funny. Yeah. You are pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer. How about you, Jennifer? Um, for me, I was, I thought about this before the show for once, Nigel and regular listeners of the show know a little bit about Nigel. That's my big lumbering oaf of a thoroughbred. He loves to eat. That horse can put down the chow like nobody's business, except when he's stressed. And then he don't want to eat anything. That's just like me. Really? (laughs) I love to eat. You know how they had that phrase, you either love to eat or eat, lo- live to eat or eat to live. Yeah. I live yeah. I live to eat. I'm one of those people. And I enjoy lots of different foods and I lo- love to eat them. And he, like today, I was out at the barn. I was trying to take care of some boo-boos he had, trying to scrub the, the boo-boos and stuff. And he's wandering all over the aisleway of the barn. Now, he had just spent the past 14 hours in a 10-acre pasture the grass past his ankles and a 500 pound pasture alfalfa bale out there. That's where he's been for the past 14 hours in the aisleway. He would not stand still because he had to, he just had to go over 
and eat that coastal bale in the aisle. <laughs> and for those of you from the north, a coastal bale is basically cardboard. Yep. <laughs> Could not focus for one second because he had to go eat the coastal bale. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. pretty funny. So yeah, he he loves eats loves to eat, and also like Nigel, I'm a little bit accident prone. I get a lot of boo boos. So in really? that respect, we match. Yes, I make poor decisions sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like Nigel, I think I'm athletic, but I'm not. Oh, you really, you guys are getting more closer and closer together in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So that, that's what, that's how we're similar. <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. For details about today's show, go to HealthyCrittersRadio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at HorseRadioNetwork.com. 